Thank you so much for being here and joining us tonight. We're very excited. Welcome. Uh, so my name is Leah Todd. I'm a legal worker with the Center for Constitutional Rights. In this room, I work on issues of anti-militarism, right to dissent, and gender justice, which is what's bringing us here tonight. I'm very excited. Thank you. Love it. So I also am a co-host with my colleague Rob Santiago, who's going to join us later. Uh, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast, The Activist Files. So okay. So how many people in this room have listened to The Activist Files? Yeah. Okay. I love that. Okay, so for those of you who might have not, you are tonight and hopefully beyond. The Activist Files was launched in April 2018, and it, this podcast features the stories of activists, lawyers, and artists who are working on the front lines for justice. We work with movement partners, our clients, and storytellers who are working to create change and highlight their work, including our eminent guests who are joining us tonight. So how many of you are going to go home and listen to The Activist? this files after tonight. Okay, great. Love it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's a very special occasion because tonight is our first live podcast. So thank you for being here and being part of a history-making moment. It's also the culmination of our Black History Month celebration. So very excited for that. Yep. And very excited to discuss tonight how it would feel to be free, Southern resistance to race and gender oppression with some really incredible guests that we're honored to have with us. So I first have the honor of introducing Chandra Hazlett, who's going to join us and bring everyone on stage. She is our communications director and a member of the Activist Files editorial team. So welcome to Chandra. <laughs> told that I needed a hype person, but I feel like Leah did the job. Are we hype? Are we ready? <laughs> I am so honored to welcome these three activists to join me for this discussion tonight. So first we have Valencia Robinson. Valencia is a native of Jackson, Mississippi, and the founder and CEO of Mississippi in Action. Mississippi in Action educates Mississippians on HIV and AIDS and is a strong advocate for women's rights, transgender rights and awareness, and reproductive justice. Valencia can often be found at the Capitol, at rallies all over the state, and anywhere injustice plagues the LGBT community and all communities. Her community efforts are endless. She is always ready to go to work for righteousness and rarely misses an opportunity to make a contribution. Let's welcome Valencia. <laughs> Next we have Quita Tinsley. Quita Tinsley is a black queer femme who writes, organizes, and works to build sustainable change in the South. They currently serve as the co-director of Access Reproductive Care Southeast in Atlanta, hey ATL, where they focus on strengthening the abortion funds, operations, programs, and organizational voice. As a queer, black, non-binary southerner, Quita has come to believe in the power of storytelling and collective resistance through their lived experiences. And through their work and all its forms, they hope to continue fighting for liberation in the South and beyond. Quita Tinsley, welcome. I love the energy in the room. <laughs> Last but certainly not least is Lakeisha Harris. Come on up. Lakeisha is the Director of Reproductive Health and Justice at Women with a Vision, Inc. in New Orleans. Have you recovered from Mardi Gras? Uh, no. <laughs> I still have my Mardi Gras tights on. <laughs> we'll make sure we get a picture of these tights. So, <laughs> so you can check out our website next month to see the Mardi Gras tights. <laughs> Lakeisha has previously served as health educator, community health worker, and alternative insemination coordinator at Chicago Women's Health Center, one of the last remaining feminist centers in the country. As a community healer, Lakeisha centers healthcare access for black people, specifically queer and trans black people who are often shut out of services that are culturally affirming, financially accessible, and whole being centered. With 20 plus years as a reproductive justice community organizer, she has testified against Louisiana abortion bans and continues to hold community conversation on the importance of abortion access for black and poor people. Welcome, Lakeisha. 
I hope most of you know that the Center for Constitutional Rights has a long and deep commitment to protecting LGBTQ, AI plus, and HIV positive people from discrimination, censorship, violence, criminalization, and persecution. Hopefully you had a chance to read the banners and the reception area that talked about our history in this space. But if you didn't, for example, we fought for the rights of gays and lesbians to serve in the Peace Corps, promote safe sex and AIDS awareness without government surveillance and suppression. And with Women with a Vision, Lakeisha, we have successfully fought on behalf of people who were forced to register as sex offenders as a result of homophobic, transphobic, and unconstitutional sodomy laws. But we really are here to talk about what you all are doing. What is the state of gender justice, reproductive justice, and LGBTQIA plus rights in your communities back home? What is the landscape? Mississippi, it's a state of emergency. In 2017, the first trans murder was in Mississippi, was in Canton, Mississippi. Misha, we have to say her name, and it was like nothing has been done. And like I said this morning, we have to get to in community because it's so much, it's, we have so much homo, internalized homophobia amongst the people in community, LGBTQ people, until it's really hard to get people out to speak against these tragedies that's happening to us. We have legislation that like outrightly, you can discriminate against LGBTQ people and women who had sex, I mean, who had children out of wedlock. How do you know I had a child out of wedlock? I don't freaking know, but the landscape, it, it's, it's horrible. I mean, white supremacy, patriarchy, it's, we don't wanna talk about sex, we don't wanna talk about same sex, same gender loving people, because we take the love out of everything. It's all about the physical. And so that, I feel like that's why we can't move forward until people realize it's love and not just sex. We're gonna always be in a state of emergency. Yeah. I love Valencia and Nakisha. I was like, I'm so excited to speak with them. And I'm like, I'm about to speak right behind Valencia. Yikes. <laughs> so I'm the co-director of Art Southeast, Access Reproductive Care Southeast, and we are a reproductive justice organization that does abortion funding and provides practical support to people seeking abortion care across the Southeast. And we work in six different states. And I think the landscape of the work that we do, the reality is we work in one of the most politically hostile environments in the, like, in the country around the work that we do around abortion access. There are very few clinics. There are the most restrictive laws in the country or in our region and in the Midwest, which is a neighboring region, right? And thinking about the ways in which shame and stigma operate in the South. And so this idea of like, people aren't having abortions in the South or like queer and trans people don't live in the South or liberal folks aren't or organizing in the South. All of those things are not true. I grew up in a very small rural town in the middle of Georgia. And people are like, oh, you probably never saw other queer people, right? And I'm like, oh, I knew a lot of queer people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I queer people. Uh, right. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah, I didn't right. know a lot of out queer people, right? So, like, I didn't get to see models of people who every day got to live in their truth and have freedom around who they were. I witnessed people every day who were trying to live their lives, but also maintain relationships with their family, their community, their church, right? Like, my mom's best friend, who was like my uncle, pulled my first tooth, moved me into college. He was a gay man who died of AIDS-related complications, and he was never out in our community. He was the head of the usher board, but was never out but we knew, right? And so the ways in which shame and stigma are allowed to operate, for me, it's important in my work to break all of that down and give space for my people to be who they are every day and show up in their full truth. Because I'm like, that is what liberation is. I think we always think of like liberation being this endpoint of all the successes, right? But like, what are the little moments of liberation? Um, like living in our truth, I think that's a major point of liberation in the everyday. Yeah, right, liberation. Absolutely. And, I mean, we're in the news, Louisiana. We're going to the Supreme Court. March 4th is the Supreme Court hearings on admitting privileges for the state of Louisiana. And if admitting privileges is upheld, of course, we lose practically all of our clinics, all except for one. We only have three in the state of Louisiana. We lose all but one. And then the one doctor has been, you know, saying that he may not operate and um, because he would be targeted as the one main provider in the state of Louisiana. 
And so we are in a dire set of consequences of where people will not have access to abortion services legally. Mm -hmm. And what that means is not that they won't be having abortions. They won't be having illegal abortions, right? So when we think of that in the context of the ways that that plays out for people who have historically been criminalized, who have historically been oppressed economically, deep, deep economic oppression in Louisiana, where the state makes a lot of money on tourism and the service workers who work there make $2.13 an hour. We essentially have a pot of gumbo of oppression. <laughs> Only not as good. <laughs> Bad gumbo. <laughs> who wants that? <laughs> and when we're talking gender justice, right, it is mostly black women who are service workers. It is women who are service workers who don't have the support that they need in the state. And so if you're talking about abortion, it means that people are going to get an abortion. That means that they're going to spend their rent money and they're going to go out of town to get access. And that's not just like they're going to they're not going to be able to go to Mississippi or Atlanta <laughs> at this point, possibly not Texas. If this ruling, this ruling affects every state around it. And that is what is so important in this case, because it affects, it's a domino effect. And so the way of the South goes the way of the world. <laughs> and it is an implication on what is happening in our nation. I got more in me, so go on. <laughs> And I really want this to be a free-flowing conversation. So for those who don't know, we're at a period of a two-day board meeting. Our panelists joined us this morning for a really rich discussion. So if you hear references to this morning, that's what they're talking about. And we had just a really nice free-flowing conversation. So can we talk a little bit about when it comes to gender justice, reproductive justice, and LGBTQIA rights, what are some of the systematic problems that exist in your communities? Are there any trends or themes you're seeing? And what feels most urgent right now? Discrimination. One, like I said, we had House Bill 1523, which is now law that gives people the right to discriminate. So, you know, it's keeping people from being employed, accessing health care, because we have doctors that really, once you fill out your form and look at your sexual orientation and gender identity, they get you in a room and want to preach you straight. Or I refuse, I don't want to see you. I, I, I don't believe in your lifestyle. And so it's, it's really hard. And we have doctors, well, providers that work with LGBTQ folks, especially trans folks, right. that don't want anybody to know. They say they don't want to run off their regular patients, but they will see trans folks. And, you know, we didn't expand Medicaid. We do have an LGBTQ clinic that's very homophobic. Some of the people that work there, they're homophobic and very transphobic. They're very disrespectful to people that utilize the, the services, but there's not another clinic. Till recently, UMMC, University Medical Center, opened a clinic in their hospital, but it's open like twice a month. And so, you know, what if I get sick on Tuesday and have to, I gotta wait to Friday of the next week to go to the doctor. So it, it's, oh God, it's so much, y'all, it's so much. We're talking about LGBTQ folks. Let's, let's talk about humans because we all have something we go to the doctor oh you have you're having too many kids i had a friend with her tubes tied and she didn't know the doctor told her he was tired of seeing her every year she had four kids and it was you know back to back and he tied her tubes and she didn't know yeah yeah masculine center women are afraid to go to the doctor if they're pregnant because of the shame the community puts on them oh you're you stud you butch and you pregnant that's not the gender roles. It's so crazy. And we were just talking last night about how our community is so heteronormative until oh, somebody has to be the man, somebody has to be the woman, because that is what we are taught. It's a man and a woman. That's what the Bible says. And Lord have mercy. Let's not talk about church. Why is it Sodom and Gomorrah is always despised homosexuality? But not out of I'm looking for five righteous people. It's just that's what they target. Um, and so it's just a lot. But we're working. Let me say this. We're working to do better. More people are being more visible. Like, take me, if not, you know, like we say black dollars matter, LGBTQ black dollars matter as well. We spend money. We go to places. Instead of, I said, the best thing that we can do is not utilize their business and put them out there. 
we can shut it down. But people have to be empowered to understand that. You know, we, so we always refer back to the civil rights era. So I want to say, like, the lives of trans people matter, right? And it has been so heavy in our state regarding, like, housing, for instance, housing laws. Yes. There is no... We have a we live in a right to work state, which means that people can fire you from your job without any reasoning behind it. You can legally discriminate in housing and in a workplace for LGBTQ people in Louisiana. And so that's the terrain in which we're working at Women with a Vision. Because we work with sex workers a whole lot. <laughs> it is our like one of our main focus focus of work, sex worker rights. We know that trans women are not getting the jobs in which they need to survive in Louisiana. Like who's hiring black trans women? We've had clients come in for services and say, I went and applied for a job and they told me to dress like a man. And that is actually traumatizing and harmful, right? In order to get the job. So these are, this is the landscape in which we live in. So going back to sex work, a lot of uh, black trans women are doing sex work as a means of survival for housing, for food, and the caretake of community. Blend that in with like transphobia on the streets and community transphobia, you have what violence looks like, yes. right? We have state violence, we have community violence that is so very deep and personal. So when we're looking at gender justice, we need to really situate trans black women at the center of that gender justice and black women as a whole mm -hmm. at the center of that discussion on what gender justice looks like. Because if we're not free and if we're not liberated and if things are made equitable with us, then we know it's not gonna be equitable with the world. I think a lot about like the ways in which black people and brown people's bodies are criminalized mm -hmm. through policy in the South yeah. and just erased yes, <laughs> and like yes, yes. made to disappear through policy. Thinking about the ways in which maternal mortality rates across the South are horrible and the folks most impacted mm -hmm. are most times black women and black pregnant people, yeah. upwards of three to four times more likely to die. And that's within the first year, after, up, goes up to the first year after birth, right? And so most of the cases that we're seeing with maternal mortality are actually, people are dying within that first year after giving birth. Mm -hmm. And thinking about the ways in which emergency Medicaid when you're pregnant ends six weeks in the state of Georgia after you give birth. So as a person who's given birth, you no longer receiving care six weeks after giving birth to a whole human. And I think, you know, when you say it like that, that sounds ridiculous, right? But that is seen as something that is normal and people should be grateful that they have the six weeks of care, right? When that is ridiculous and that is not humane and it does not provide people to move from the space of dignity and autonomy when thinking about the decisions about how they're gonna like create the families and the families that they want. And thinking about like anti-abortion laws in the South. And like you said, the Keisha, I'm just like, it, you can look at Louisiana, you can look at Alabama, you can look at Mississippi, it's all connected. <laughs> like if they propose it one place, you're gonna see it another place. It, it just travels around the state, right? And I think- uh, And it gets worse. I right? feel like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I can beat you at being right. transphobic, more right. transphobic, right. more, like, more oh, oppressed. I'll see your transgender, like no youth, trans youth in the bathroom bill. And I'll see that for uh, trans youth can't get healthcare. How about that? We gonna yeah. do that, right? Which um, is ridiculous. <laughs> Right? It's like literally conservatives kind of play this game of who can be the worst to marginalize people. Mm -hmm. um, and our lives are on the line in the middle of it, right? So we're like, as folks who are doing this work, we're doing it to fight for our communities, but we're also fighting for our lives in the middle of it, right? Yeah, and thinking about the ways in which sex workers are criminalized, the ways in which people can literally like criminalize trans, black trans women walking down the street if they appear to be sex workers, right? The ways in which laws around like infanticide can be used to criminalize pregnant people who miscarried or are believed to have had self-induced their abortion, right? This warping of laws to criminalize people. I'm like, that is the landscape that we're operating in. But I think what always brings me joy is like people like us and the work that is happening. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, black femmes and women are saving the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and exactly. little to no resources. Right? Just know we are. Just know right. we are. <laughs> right. right. And are the ones who are the most impacted, right? And are trying to save the world in the mm -hmm. middle of it all. And I'm just like, yes things are hard and like we watch every day as the people we love are struggling to survive 
and a lot of times can't imagine what it means to thrive, but like at the same time, we're fighting for a new and better world. And people often like don't even look at the little things, the, the small things, like as far as like public health is concerned, when you're talking about criminalization, like carrying a condom can get you harassed and people are always like, why won't people just use a condom and then we won't have, we won't need abortion. But if somebody who is perceived to be a sex worker is on the street carrying a condom, that is means or has been historically presented as a means that they, mm -hmm. to prove that they were out there doing sex work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't even think about the ways in which people, just as simple as carrying a condom or something so small, could impede public health outcomes, simultaneously criminalize people. I'm like, who has sex education to properly know how to use a condom? I know I didn't go through sex education. <laughs> we don't have a comprehensive sex education. Right, like across the South. Like, and when you think about crisis yeah. pregnancy centers who are like really like shining, right, with the lack of abortion clinics that are in the South, they're, they outnumber them by far. And a lot of states actually send public funding to them when they are not healthcare providers. But many of them start to partner with local school districts to provide sex education. And they're not providing comprehensive sex education. They're providing abstinence-only education that completely ignores queer and trans folks, young parents, mm -hmm. and anybody who is like a sexual being, right? It's just mm -hmm. like, well, if you're alive, you should believe in God and you should wait until marriage, right? And not to mention like different religions within school systems, right? But whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just like, it's so much more than just like, just use a condom. Mm -hmm. right. It's not that simple. Absolutely. So has anybody here seen a documentary called Jackson? Okay. That is a prime example of these pregnancy crisis centers. The lady, the executive director, told in the documentary, the doctor who was performing the sonogram was not a doctor. She wasn't a nurse either. And they tell, they tell people whatever they want to tell. So we asked, somebody asked, where did they get their information from? They, they just said, we made it up. This is our information. They literally says this. And she is like, yeah. So the young lady that centered in there, her name is April Jackson. Uh, April wanted to have, use a, uh, she wanted to use birth control. And she told a lady, the case manager, and the case manager was like, you don't need birth control, you need self-control. Mm. But by the time that documentary ended, she was pregnant with twins. Oh, wow. Yes. So get a chance to watch this documentary. That was so heavy. Um, we're going to put all of these resources on our website. I want to shift gears and talk a little bit how you are building power in ways that the folks in the room and the folks who hear this don't know about. We're being radical as hell. That's all I can say. <laughs> and ingenious as hell. That's what we're doing. We're learning to be, instead of reactionary planning ahead and anticipating what, we, what our next move is, we are supporting one another across state lines. And if we know of resources, we are sharing those resources. We are staying up late crying on the phone. <laughs> and we are building movements across like issues. So, right, I just talked to you about like workers' issues and reaching out to service workers and understanding like their fight for a more of a living wage is directly connected to reproductive justice and holding up the framework and, and educating on the framework so that they can see that it is about economics, like reproductive justice is about economics and building a better world in which, which we can live, you know? That line in, in within reproductive justice that says that we deserve to be free of violence in our communities. Well, economic injustice is violent, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. And then environmental justice is violent. Right, and we're living in Cancer Alleys and Gordon Plaza, you know, and in St. James Parish where big organizations are dumping, you know, yes. chemicals in the water and cancer rates are up. So just connecting the framework of reproductive justice to all across the movements and bringing people in. I think that that has been long needed to bring people in and let them see that like abortion access is a matter of economic justice, yeah. right? That, I feel that's what, I, what I'm doing. Okay, so I'm literally on the ground. I'm working with community because if community doesn't see anything that's wrong, we can't move forward. And a lot of people, because certain things are people's norm, that's normal to them. It's normal to walk outside and you have sewage in your front yard. That's normal. When you go and talk to community, well, it's not a problem for me because this is what has always happened. 
you know, we have to try to let people see that there's other things. Because I take a group of young folks outside of Jackson into like a neighboring city, which is like five minutes, 10 minutes away, Ridgeland, Mississippi, and they see houses, they're like, they want to be drug dealers. Like, no, people, they work. They, but that's what, what they see is all they know. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And we also, Mississippi in Action, we, do, we host a lot of small community events to build community in order for people to be comfortable and liberate them so they can go out and advocate. Like I said earlier, I'm old, I'm tired. My body's tired to con this constant fight every year, like this whole six weeks, 15 weeks, no, then turn around six weeks. We're tired of having the same conversation. And until powers that be respect, the folks on the ground, we gonna, this is what we're going to have. And I feel like they're purposefully trying to wear us down, right? It's like, it, it, why in the world would you present a six-week ban after you didn't get the 15-week ban through, <laughs> if only to wear us out as activists? Like, they're not going to show up. That, oh, they did show up to that six-week yeah. ban briefing, um, you know, yeah, so, okay. yeah. It's like sometimes I take a pause and I'm like, wait, six weeks is less than 15. 15? <laughs> like, Who counted this out? Like, so just imagine how we no, feel. Yeah. <laughs> right. Arc Southeast, we're out here legit funding abortions, speaking with people Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern, making sure people are taken care of no matter what is happening politically, driving people to their appointments, training people on what it looks like to be like, you have a car, are you willing to drive people to and from an appointment? Do you have an extra room in your house? Do you have an extra couch in your house? Like, Are you willing to give up your room to let someone sleep there? Are you willing to take food to someone who maybe got all of the other things taken care of, but they literally just don't have money for a meal? showing people that there are ways to take care of community and show up for people outside of the ways that we are most often told that ways we have to show up. Yeah, and like doing like stigma busting and just going out in community and talking about abortion. Cause I know for me, I like went most of my life never saying the word abortion. In the state of Georgia, there's clinics in Atlanta. There's one in Columbus two in Savannah and one in Augusta. And literally there's like a triangle within the middle of the state, which is like a huge, large part of the state that do not have an abortion provider anywhere. And so I grew up right in the center of that. And so people, when they talked about abortion, it was like, oh, you know, they sent her off to Atlanta for the summer or she went down to Savannah. And everybody kind of knew like, oh, okay, I know what that means, right? And like the stigma within that. So what does it mean to be the person who got sent off to Atlanta yeah. or Savannah, right? How are you able to talk about your own experience, how you came to that decision? And so it looks like just showing up in community and like wearing things that say abortion and actually talking about it, right? And being an organization led predominantly by folks of color and led by black people, like showing up in our own communities and talking about this, right? Because sometimes I feel like people will like look and they'll like look away and then they'll look again. Like I was in Walmart picking up a money transfer for my birthday for my mom. And like the cashier, she was like ringing up the person in front of me and she like looked up at me. And I just like smiled at her and then she like looked back and she was like, everyone everyone loves, everyone loves someone who had an abortion. And I was just like, yeah. I just kind of, kind of looked away and I was like, oh, we got, we about to talk about this when I get to the register. <laughs> and I get to the register, she's like, do you work for an abortion clinic? And I was like, no, but I do work for an abortion fund. We help people pay for their abortions. She was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, for me, I feel like that is my duty to show up in community and just provide space for the conversation. You know, I'm like, we could have went into it that day and we could have been like arguing about abortion access, but it didn't go further. But then I was in the Mac store and in the airport the, yesterday. Wow, that was yesterday. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, and you know, of course everybody's like, where are you going? And I'm like, New York. And she's like, for what? And I'm like, work. And she's like, where do you work? And I'm just like, I'm just trying to buy my setting spray. But <laughs> she's like, I'm like, oh, I work for a nonprofit. And she's like, everybody always says that. What do you do? And I was like, great question. Cause you're right. We all just be saying nonprofit. Like that means something to anybody. Um, but I was like, I work for an abortion fund. And she was like, are y'all hiring? I was like, not right now. But she's like, I'm from Alabama. And they passed that law, you know, and she's like, it literally, they're saying people can't have abortions. And she, at first, was like, you know, you never know. People might be right. People might just, and then she was like, but you know what? I just believe people should have access to it. I was like, right. yes. And she's like, can I follow you on Instagram? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know? And like, this is a 
of young black women, right? So like these moments of just small, simple conversations Absolutely. are like changing the way people are able to talk about things. Because literally, we just don't talk about it. We don't talk about abortion. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about queerness and like what happens when we just provide the space for people to just talk about it. Thank you. Can we give it up for access to making space for these conversations? Before we go on, I also want to say that we are not, I don't want you to think that we're not doing this work in absence of fear for our very lives, of mm. violence to our own person. You know, uh, Women with a Vision in 2012 was firebombed for our No Justice campaign in collaboration with, with the center. So like that possibility of violence, in some case losing our lives to do this work in the Deep South, is there, y'all. It's, it's, right. it's, it's always there. It's in the back of our minds. Um, and still we persist and still do the work. Okay, we're going. You all mentioned that you're tired. That, you know, the work is endless. So how do you sustain your work in challenging times? Because, again, it's endless. So what do you do to just sustain yourself? Um, I drink Jack Daniels. Okay. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> I, I drink Jack Daniel. Um, I'm, I'm getting into meditation, reading. And so, but the books I read, I'm like, no. I go visit, I go get in my car and drive up to the Mississippi Delta to Ruleville and just stand in front of Fannie Lou Hamer, her statue, just, just be there in, in that. Because I am Fannie Lou Hamer. I am Fannie Lou. Those are the things that I do. But you know, also, I just enjoy being around young folks who, who wants to listen and who wants to know, want to know about what's really going on in the world. And they wait, I didn't know, I didn't know. So let's talk about sex. All right, I like that too, I like talking about sex. Yeah. <laughs> and they say, hey, Evelyn, I like talking about sex. <laughs> what about you? So I think something that really sustains me in doing the work is like the people I work with. like. Literally, I feel like every day I go into the office, we find something to laugh about or to like crack up about. We work in a co-working space. So mm, that has been funny. Um, we had neighbors who were like this like techie white dude, like neighbors to the left. And we were talking about vaginal fluids one day and just having a grand old time. And they had one black woman on staff and they sent her over to us at the end of the day. And she's like, you know, the walls are really thin. And <laughs> earlier and it didn't it didn't really sound professional and I just like looked at her and I like started walking away and somebody else was just like okay thanks and I was like oh, I'm grown and we pay rent here so I'm gonna talk about vaginal fluids on the clock actually um yeah uh like laughing and having fun like we danced to like the twerk video when it came out but from the city girls and Cardi B we danced in office to that just finding moments of joy and laughter spending time with my friends like inviting them over to my house and having game nights and laughing and drinking. I'm more of a fireball type okay, okay. which says a lot about me and maybe not good things, but here we are, that's my truth. <laughs> you know, and just like finding joy like in laughing and like existing together and like, you know, blowing the whole table up around Uno rules because that I seems know, to right? be, I'm just like, wow, some of us really move from a place of white supremacy around Uno, Uno rules. <laughs> what them creators of that game said. Like, this, this is how I play. We make them up. We make them up. me. Yeah, I want to echo what Quita said. The beauty of working at a reproductive justice organization is that it is part of the praxis to just be like, hey, take some self-care time. Um, we actually have a policy implemented on mental health days that you can take when you need to take them. And then the staff at Women with a Vision has us cracking up. Like we love support. The house that Dion Haywood has built and the environment that she has built is just a phenomenal living, breathing space of healing justice as well. So shout out to Deanna, hope she listened to this. It's just amazing. 
um, that she has managed as a leader to create this environment that supports one another. And come on, y'all, we live in New Orleans. So like Second Line Sunday is right. where you go get your dance on and dance out all of this oppression. And we survive in the way that black people have surviving laughing at stuff that may not be so funny when you're in the middle of it, but then you think about it and be like, I should have said that. Cussing each other out over spades game and bourbon, you know, just like the, the things that we do in order to survive, right? So, yeah. Thank you. And my colleagues know that I, depending on the day, my drink is Prosecco. <laughs> Malbec. And if I've had a really hard day, I do a dirty martini, extra dry, extra dirty yeah. with Grey Goose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. Okay, so I think we have real dirty. Real dirty. <laughs> I think we have about three minutes left, so I want to give justice to this question. Because um, it is Black History Month. So if you all could quickly talk about how you are making black history. By existing. Thank I was you. born. By existing, and being, by existing and being queer right. and out right. in the South and continuing to survive. Every day like every day. Yeah. That's it's number it. one. I mean, and also, y'all, we're writing legislation. We're helping putting, presenting amicus briefs, and yes. we're writing books. Like, we're giving instructional guides. Like, black women, queer people, trans people are giving y'all the tools to survive, and you should listen. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oof. Like, what did they say? But it's attached to us. So. <laughs> yes, this existing. Yes. Yeah. Living and breathing. Mm -hmm. Can we give our panel a round of applause? So we have one mic here. If there's a bum rush to the mics, I will put this one back over there. I'm also happy to walk a mic to you Thank if you're you, comfortable Mary. in your seat. Appreciate it. Thank you. My question is around, you know, the South was traditionally thought of as black, white, and that's it. And demographics have been changing. And I would love to hear about what you've seen or not seen in terms of space for that to broaden movements. Like, I know you talked about working across movements, but has... What does it look like in terms of walking, working across communities? So in Louisiana, it looks like people standing up and standing with migrant workers and for immigrant rights and brown people who are being placed in detention centers. And that looks like justice. It looks like us battling for better policies for people who are being massively incarcerated and also bailing them out and also trying to like do bail reform. And that looks like justice and liberation. It looks like working with workers and workers' families to get them proper working environment. We, with the Hard Rock Cafe collapse here in New Orleans, we still have workers who are literally hanging in the French Quarter because their bodies cannot, or our lawmakers will not remove their bodies. And they've been in there since October. The families have no justice. Mm. Right. So it looks like me as a black feminist who have historically talked about abortion and access to health care, also talking about workers' rights and uh, criminalizing brown people for existing, putting them in detention centers and all of the things. It looks like me educating myself as a cis black woman on trans issues and standing with trans people. And even if I'm uncomfortable doing that, but I know that justice for them equals justice for me. So I, I'm quite sure y'all seen this on the news. Mississippi is always doing some crazy shit. Uh, we had one of the largest ice raids at like the chicken plants. 
So what what it looks like for us with Latinx people, we actually got people in cars to drive to New Orleans where they were holding people to bring them back to Jackson, since Jackson is a sanctuary city. Getting their kids, making sure the kids had, you know, they were afraid, but make sure, making sure that they, somebody had them, taking care of them, making sure they went back to school, that they ate until the families got reunited. Just that right there brought a lot of people together that really wouldn't have any kind of discussion with each other. So and I hate that it took something like that, but we're trying to make sure the conversation stay going, ongoing, because we're, we'll help this issue out and be gone. So we're trying to make sure we keep uh, community in, in the loop, or we are in the loop with community and make sure they have, people have what they need. Um, for us within the work, it looks like language justice and like, um, especially around practical support, like a lot of times the abortion clinics don't have the resources to provide like translation and interpretation services and have that in house. And so for us, we are always looking for volunteers who speak other languages. Um, so it's like someone might speak a language and the clinic will be like, I have never heard of that in my life. And we're mm -hmm. like, give us a second. Like, going around, right? And be like, okay, we have someone who speaks this language and they can do translation over the phone. Because the reality is like, people can't even make their appointment, right? Because there's no one in the clinic who speaks their language. And like, um, for us, it looked like hiring someone on staff who was bilingual and spoke Spanish because the larger population of Spanish speakers in the city of Atlanta and in Georgia to make sure folks can be taken care of and like um, having like a Spanish line because it's like, we can't have an abortion access line and pretend like everybody only sees English, right? And also working in coalition with other organizations who are Asian-led, Latinx, um, and other folks of color. Um, and also being willing to have the hard, real conversations of like a lot of these organizations were built and came up out of the fact that conversations were so centered only around black and white people. And so they were fighting to see themselves reflected. Um, and like being like, okay, well, us as like black folks, we're not our enemies. So like, how do we actually build with each other and talk about the very real realities of like xenophobia and anti-blackness and how it's impacted our ways to like, we do work with each other and how people live in community with each other. Um, and something also recently through the Amplify Coalition that we're a member of, we won or we the city of Atlanta passed a reproductive justice commission. And so that was like a little win for us. But the next thing was to look to Clarkson, which has a large refugee population, but also has some of the most liberal like policies in the state of Georgia. And so working with them to create a RJ commission that really focuses on the needs of their communities. So if we appointed the three of you to provide reparations to black queer women in your communities, what would that look like? Ooh, honey. Ooh. It would look like black women having housing. Let's <laughs> 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 care. I have a whole list. Health care. Right. Um, yeah. Food, like adequate food. Right. It would look like clean, clean water. water. <laughs> Transportation. Yeah. Education right. for generations because mm -hmm. what has been taken has been generational. Right. So we need some generational wealth, right. like something that uh, it looks like overturning and abolishing prisons. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. It looks like mental health services. Like I want all the things. Like when we're talking about reparations, I know that people are like, I'd be happy with like some free school. No. No. Give me all the things. I want them all back. <laughs> you ain't just take no education. Right. You took everything, everything. And I deserve it all back. Right. Yes. That was actually going to be my next question. Thank you so much for, for everything today, including at the board meeting. Just by way of anecdote, I'm one of three, and, and the three kids in my family are all on the spectrum, the queer spectrum. Some are a little further out than the others. And I was speaking with my uh, one of my siblings who's several years younger than me, and she was dealing with her sexuality and decided to stop going to church because she couldn't take it anymore and couldn't handle the what she felt was a contradiction. I said, have you ever thought about going to an open and affirming church? And she said, what's that? And she's in, she was in her early 30s, late 20s, early 30s at the time. It just never even occurred to her that there could be people of faith 
who didn't see this as an abomination. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the communities that you work with and how you navigate this, especially in a location where people who have a religious orientation or a spirituality are much more um, in the public eye and in public office and things like that. Well, you know, in Louisiana there, <laughs> there's no separation of church and state. There's Christian prayer that takes place in the state capitol before every meeting, right? It's no acknowledgement whatsoever that there are a multitude of religious beliefs in the state, right? So it's just Christian state, period. And they're unapologetic about it, you know? And simultaneously, there is so much deep African spirituality that it still exists in Southern states, in, in, in New Orleans in particular, but definitely in Southern states that are consistent with like what we came over here. And I feel like there's a lot of queer people, trans people who are moving away from the church because they're not being accepted. And the, the bright spot for me in that <laughs> is that they're investigating other practices, other spiritual practices that is in alignment with our spirit and liberation. Well, three or more of us are gathered. We create our own space to Ooh. hold church, whatever church yes, looks yes. like for us. And so because we're so deeply rooted in religion, people, folks go to church, sit on the front row every Sunday to be abused. And when you talk about homosexuality is an abomination, I said, when you leave here to go to that buffet, eat those crab legs and this shrimp, understand you are participating in an abomination as well. Stop cherry picking pieces out the Bible. We, ha we do have a, um, an affirming church, um, but it's so interesting because we, we're honest, it's still racially divided. Mm -hmm. And it's like, y'all go to the white gay church. I go to the black gay church. And so it. That right, that in itself is a is a problem where people don't go to church uh, or want to go to church as well. So we just get together, we burn our sage, we talk about our crystals, we read our tarot cards. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, that's that's what we do, and we pray, and we resist as right. a as a practice of religious and spirit. Yeah, <laughs> religion especially when you're in, in a really rural church and a young lady, a young person becomes pregnant and they have to stand in front of the church and ask for forgiveness. Yes. They still do that. Yes. We have a school that still have a black prom and a white prom. Yes. yes. And, and so, oh God, this, yeah, like I, I don't want to do all that tonight, tonight, because we did all that today. It, it's <laughs> so much deeper than a lot of people imagine. But that's why we're here. I think it's important to name that, though. You know, it's heavy, but it's the truth and it's the, our lived reality of what we're experiencing every day and what people in our communities are experiencing every day. You know, I feel like around abortion, I mean, we, I'm, I live in Atlanta. There are a lot of liberal, like, queer-affirming, like, you know, social justice churches. But also, as you noted, a lot of them are white-led congregations. And so when we work with them, we aren't necessarily working with our own communities. And I feel like a lot of times for Black, queer, and trans folks, um, because church, I'm, I grew up in the church, like every first and third Sunday, I was up in there. Every Tuesday for Bible study, I was in there, right? Um, First and third, yeah. yeah we was really there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but as I was coming into my queerness, I was really having to realize that I was going to have to choose my truth for my community. Um, and so I was like this tormented teenager just waiting till I turned 18 and moved away, right? And then I never went back to church after I moved away from home. And I think about how many people every day choose community over their, themselves because they don't want to feel isolated, mm -hmm. you know? And thinking about the ways we can just like provide space outside of church, yes. you know, like burning sage, lighting our altar candles, mm -hmm. reading our astrology for the week, you know? Maybe that's just me, but finding what religions outside of like Christianity, you know? And talking about that because that has been stripped from our lineage. And a lot of times we literally just don't know the religions that our people brought here with us. Yeah, like reconnecting to ourselves, our roots. And like, if at the end of it all, you don't believe in anything, right? like that's okay. Right. Make the space for it all. And then there's the very re um, the reality like I live with, um, and I'm sure all of us, is that like church has provided resources, community resources for very marginalized people. Yeah. Like somebody making $2.13 an hour to be ostracized from that community means that you ain't eating, mm -hmm. you ain't paying the rent. So it is a very real thing. And I think that 
the community that queer people, queer activists, trans activists are building around like us liberating ourselves is providing that community or that resource that queer and trans people are missing because they are being ostracized from the church and that critical resource. One last question, because um, we are over time. We have one more segment that's going to be really fast and fun, because this has been heavy, but it's so important to make space for this. So, um, Alex, you have the mic. Yes, I just like I'm so glad to have three of you here, and obviously Chandra, of course, all the time. <laughs> um, but it's so empowering and so powerful to have three, like, black queer femmes on stage, like speaking to the truth, walking their power. It's incredibly like moving and like, I feel so seen and so heard in this conversation. Um, so the question that I have is just like, you know, it's it's Black History Month, Mercury is in retrograde, in retrograde. like I, I had so many thoughts about like, what am I gonna ask? Like, what is the queerest thing that you've done this Black History Month? Like, no, that's kind of weird. Like, but uh, what, I, what I do wanna know is just like, how are you all like, in your own communities, how do you get together to celebrate queerness? How do you get together to center yourselves and to center the people who look like you, the people who have like the same histories as you? And how do you like uplift one another in ways that are like celebratory and congratulatory and like, I don't know, uplift and like empower? So oh, New Orleans is queer. I don't know if y'all know. <laughs> it's embedded in the culture. Hello, glitter everywhere. <laughs> I still am picking out glitter. So like, <laughs> and you know, um, there's deep oppression for queerness. And I think that being in a space that is black and queer led for work is like so helpful. Um, yeah, so I work in it every day. I practically live at work. I, I told Dion, I just, you might need to charge me rent. I'm here so long. Um, but I also feel comfortable at work. <laughs> Like I said, you know, New Orleans is queer. So like we dress up, we second line, you know, it's really do what you wanna until you do too much. <laughs> so you wanna have sex. <laughs> we have house parties. Um, we do shows and it's so funny. We have friends that have stripper poles and we do, do we, we act like we stripping. This term that Ariaku used is, I love it, radical ratchetness. <laughs> the, the trap music. I mean, we, we do it all, and we, you know, because, but it's so interesting because I see my friends and I'm always off to the side and they're like, just let it go. I was like, no, because tonight we're having fun and tomorrow you might can't go to the doctor if something happens to you tonight. They're going to turn you around like, bitch, stop. <laughs> stop. I can't, I don't know how to cut it off. So, uh, but that's what we do. I mean, we, we're going to have fun. We, we're going to have fun and get up the next day with hangovers. Like, we got to go to do this work. But we celebrate each other. We talk about each other like we yeah. too. Yeah, for me, um, so I... I bought my house that I live in. Um, yeah. Owner. Come um, on, Black Queer Land Space. Uh, right. But that I'm is something that has house. been important to me that um, yes. I host something at least monthly for me and my friends to come together. And it's like nothing but queer and trans folks of color, predominantly Black folks. I'm like, what y'all not about to do is roast me in my house. <laughs> uh, so you can roast anybody else in this house? But you're not about to roast me, oh, but I still get, get roasted. Get I still, so, um, yeah, and like um, doing potlucks and mm -hmm. breaking bread together. Um, something that was really important to me was like hosting New Year's at my house. Mm -hmm. So like the Southern tradition of having black eyed peas and collard greens and being able to cook collard greens for my friends. I was on the phone with my mom for like three hours. <laughs> Greens came out great. Um, yeah, and just like being with each other and being able to reclaim the things yes, that we yes. loved and care about that we grew up with and the traditions that means, meant so much to us, but oftentimes like we were pushed out of because yeah. of who we are and living in our truth and being able to come together and like reclaim that and be our full selves. And I recently celebrated my 30th birthday and me and my. Me and my best friend threw a party together. It was like a pajama party, right? And it was like, everybody was like, wait, what's this theme? And I'm like, I don't care what you wear. Just come in pajamas. It can be a t-shirt, sweatpants, like, but I will be wearing Savage X Fenty because it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, just do you, you know? 
Am I giving space for people just to show up and be themselves? Because I feel like so often we just have nowhere to be our full selves. And like on the clock, we have to show up as someone. At home, we have to show up as someone else. And like, what does it look like just to be your full self and just laugh and drink and have fun? Another round of applause. You all really brought some realness tonight, and we're about to get even more real. So I'm going to bring up Rob Santiago, one of our senior major ghost officers, who is going to explain the next segment of The Activist Files. Hey, hey, hey. going to be the fun uh, kind of section of this podcast. Uh, this part is called the Real AF. It stands That's for the Real Activist Files. Yeah. Like, real as fuck. But we're about to get real ass Friday. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons why we do this, um, thank you again for all of our heroic guests that are on the panel. The work is endless. It's tiring. It's emotionally draining yeah. most of the times, if not at all times. So this segment is a way for us to kind of just relax, kick back, just be our true selves and have some fun. We're going to just shoot some questions that you just answer honestly, openly, as much as you want. Please give a short explanation for your answer. Until we get to the lightning round, which is you guys are gonna be on the spot for that, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. 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 But right. um, but for this segment, right, Shonda, we're, we're doing something a little different for this. So, in honor of Black History Month, <gasps> we are doing a blackity black real AF. So <laughs> you'll understand what it means when we ask the questions. So basically, for those of you who have unfortunately not listened to the activist file, shame on you. We normally do would you rather questions, but what we're gonna do is do like. A or B, and then the person has to say A or B with their choices and give a quick explanation. So, and I want to preface this, for those who don't know, I am from Memphis, so can we give it up for the, the home of rock and roll yes, and blues right, right. And, and Jack Daniels? Yeah. <laughs> That's more like Middle Tennessee, but still. Okay. So, here we go. Sugar or salt on your grits? Salt. Salt. Sugar. And then as I got older, it's been salt. Okay. So, Lakeisha, we're in the same boat because I grew up with my grandmother making grits and I put sugar on it. But now that I live in New York, I put salt on my grits. But I grew up putting sugar, sugar on my grits. grits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm okay. judging you. Try not to yuck your yum. Do y'all say yams or sweet potatoes? Sweet potatoes. Sweet potato. Yeah. Well, depends. It depends. It depends. It depends. It's like it's sweet potato pie and candy yams. There's two. Yeah, it, it, it just depends. Yeah. <laughs> Canada Dry or Schweppes? Seagrams. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Seagrams. Sorry. I'm in Atlanta, y'all. The home of Coca-Cola. Okay, maybe. What about you, Valencia and Lakeisha? You are not going to cure no flu without Canada Dry. You cannot. You got to watch, you got to watch, like, Price is Right or the Golden Girls. You drink your Canada Dry. You get some crackers, white crackers, and you lay down the rest of the day. And that's how you cure the flu. I just gave y'all a recipe. <laughs> okay. Electric slide or Cupid shuffle? The wobble. Oh, you shady. You shady. But I'm going to go with Cupid shuffle because I'm from Chicago. I beat you. No. The electric slide. Every family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't do line dance. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, my mom, I grew up very religious, y'all. My mom wouldn't let me do the electric slide. Uh, so wow. I sit down 
and the Cuba shovel and the wobble because once again, I don't like being roasted. So I just, I I just learned that the electric slide was about sex. Did y'all know that? That might be the bonus segment of it. <laughs> it is it's like you just listen, listen to the lyrics. It's, it's about, I was like, real? Oh my God! It is about <laughs> See, people give okay. me all right, right. right. <laughs> it gives me so much joy when we get to put a disclaimer on the podcast. So I think. <laughs> disclaimer on this one. Okay, so we're going to go into the lightning round, so no explanation, just shout out your answer. Okay, porch or backyard? Porch. Porch. I mean, I work at Women with the Vision from porch. Porch. Preferably, yeah. I'm going to add a third one to this. Domino, spades, or uno? Spades. Uno. Uno. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen too many fights. (laughs) Spades. Yeah. Family don't even talk to each other. I'm a spade shark. Nobody at work wants to work uh, play oh, spades with spades. me. Spades. <laughs> Tony Morrison or Zora Neale Hurston? Ooh. No, I know you lie. I'm not about to choose. I'm not about to choose. No. 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 I'll give you that. <laughs> Why do I feel like it's like choosing your mother or you're gonna show up? <laughs> it's like choosing your mother or your grandmother. No. Next. Next. I'm gonna say Zora. Sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Wow, y'all just really gonna let me out here choose by myself? (laughs) I told you not to choose. I told you. (laughs) I I did trust a black woman in here. (laughs) They're trying to get us up here in this door. No, don't choose, girl. Don't 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 do it. Don't do it, it. Miss Sophia. All right, uh, last one. Coke, pop, or soda? Coke. Pop. <laughs> pop. Chicago. 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 I know that they call it cold drink. They call it cold drink in Louisiana. Yeah. And I'm like, cold drink. water? Or cold? <laughs> like, what, what is cold? Drink? cold sweet that? tea? It's all just cold drink. <laughs> but when you say pop to a Chicago, we know what you're talking about. So we just say, is it red pop? Is it purple pop? Like, is it orange pop? Too many clicks. Give me a Coke. Give me a Coke. <laughs> Period. A Coke is a Coke. We know. <laughs> wow. That was really, was that was really fun. <laughs> that was hilarious. Like, wow. <laughs> So as, as we're wrapping up for this evening, uh, just on behalf of the, the Activist Files editorial team, just want to thank everyone for coming out tonight for a, a truly deep and profound conversation with our uh, amazing and courageous guests, Lakeisha, Quida, and Valencia. Please give another round of applause for that. for our Center for Constitutional Rights News Roundup. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We have been very busy, so here are just a few highlights of what we've been up to since our last episode. We had a huge win at the International Criminal Court, which ordered an investigation into war crimes committed in relation to the situation in Afghanistan, including the U.S. torture program. The court's appeals chamber reversed a disappointing decision by the pretrial chamber, which had caved to U.S. pressure and denied the ICC prosecutor's request to open the investigation. 
The Center for Constitutional Rights has been representing two Guantanamo detainees who are victims of U.S. torture in the case. This historic decision is a long-awaited and hard-fought victory for accountability. On the very same day, an appeals court in California blocked the Trump administration's asylum transit ban from being applied to thousands of asylum seekers who were unlawfully prevented from accessing the asylum process before the ban was put into place. Trump's transit ban tries to require people who have passed through a third country to apply for asylum there before seeking it here in the U.S. The court ruled that the government is unlikely to succeed in its appeal. Thousands of people are still affected by the ruling. Meanwhile, our client, the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, moved to dismiss a meritless, harassing lawsuit filed against the group by the Jewish National Fund and other individuals. The JNF's lawsuit targets the U.S. CPR's support of Palestinian rights and is intended to chill the group and other advocates from engaging in constitutionally protected advocacy. The JNF is a quasi-state organization that has played a central role in the dispossession of and discrimination against Palestinians through a range of measures and has been criticized by human rights groups. A lot of groups are rallying around the U.S. CPR to show their support. The JNF's and others' attempts to intimidate, smear, and silence supporters of Palestinian rights and other human rights defenders in general are only making those defenders more vocal. We filed a brand new lawsuit demanding ICE and the Treasury Department immediately release documents related to predatory fines against sanctuary leaders. During a week of action led by a collective of immigrants taking sanctuary across the U.S., together with Austin Sanctuary Network, Free Migration Project, and grassroots leadership, we filed a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit seeking answers about how the Trump administration targeted sanctuary leaders with six-figure fines. In the summer of 2019, a number of high-profile activists in sanctuary, all women who fled persecution in their countries of origin, were notified that ICE intended to seek hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines from each of them. Hilda Ramirez, an activist and leader of Austin Sanctuary Network, who has lived in sanctuary in Austin, Texas Church since 2016, is quoted as saying, It is so painful to have to continue to endure attacks from ICE when all I want is to be free. These fines couldn't have been anything other than retaliation for the love and support that I have received from my community here in Austin. (music) 